Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Time for another Best of Driven Radio Show. I'm Mark Groves, co-host and engineer recording guy, dude who mixes the stuff. Brett's picked out another one of his favorite shows, this time from April of 2020. You might notice we sound a little different. Yeah, this was conversation in the time of COVID. However, with this special guest, it doesn't matter. Let it roll. We have wonderful, a wonderful guest with us this weekend. Uh, we've got John Ficara. John is an automotive historian, marketer, and walking automotive encyclopedia. Uh, he bought his first car when he was 14 years old, restored cars in his garage to help put himself through college. He owned a picture car company called Creative Film Cars in New York City, ran an illegal cross-country cannonball event called the 2904 for a decade. He was the marketing director and in-house historian for Bruce Canepa at his facility in Scotts Valley, California. He wrote and researched all 72 cars for Porsche's historic tent at the Rensport Reunion 4. He's been building and racing kind of cheaty cars for the 24 hours of uh, <laughs> Le Mans, Lemons, uh, against all good sense. And he's got a strange fascination with six-wheeled cars. Uh, nice. He now owns Fakara Classics, a company that researches markets collector and road race cars, as well as Drive-A-Go-Go, an automotive adventure company for the ill-advised. He's a regular guest on VinWiki Car Stories, the YouTube channel uh, that Ed Bolian has, uh, our friend who's on here probably more than he cares to admit. And some of John's stories have nearly a million views. He's an accomplished writer, researcher. He's worked on magazines including uh, 000, Vintage Race Car, Classic Porsche, Speed Sport, and also the Lufka Cult website, John. Welcome to Driven Radio. Thanks for having me. This is going to be awesome. Uh, hey, we're thrilled to have you. You've done a little bit of everything in the car world. Your resume looks like a car guy's dream. Uh, <laughs> when did you first figure out you were a car guy? Um, according to my dad, that was when I was about six. And he was changing the oil on the car. I could watch him change the oil on the car all the time. And one day I was helping him and then he didn't see me for a while and he's all, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm helping. And he sees my little feet walking back and forth, back and forth. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm going, I'm helping. And he's like, what are you helping with? He comes out. I had stuck a funnel in the gas tank and I was filling it with paint. <laughs> oh my God. Because so I filled oh, it as a you, I thought you I, were I, not. I was like two gallons of pa house paint right into the gas tank. <laughs> and then when you got your new so dad, what did he do with the cars? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Holy cow. Oh, what wow. kind of car was it? Dude, what kind of car was it? I got to know. That was a 76 Chevy Caprice classic. And it was probably like at that point, like, a year old or something. Oh, like that. So, God. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, well, the oh, geez. That's <laughs> your, your old man had to be standing there going, Oh, you can't kill little kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, you got your first car when you were 14. What was yeah. it? It was a Volkswagen Bug. And 
I had in my mind that you could get your permit in California when you're 15 and a half. Mm -hmm. And if I bought a really crappy car, I could get it all super cool by the time I had a license. So a friend of mine had one, he sold me for 500 bucks and it was like this hideous toad that sat in my parents' driveway (laughs) for about a year covered in a tarp. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, um, what was it called? Uh, uh, Better Off Dead? Yes. And he's got the RSSS Camaro that sits in the front yard covered in a tarp. And that was my version of that. It was like, it just sat out there. (laughs) And I did. I spent a year, I taught, my dad and I kind of tore it apart. And that's when I started learning how to work on engines and how to blow up engines and then rebuild the engine. (laughs) And then, uh, but yeah, that was my first car. So I, but by the time I had my license, I had a fully operational automobile. I'm betting you never put paint in that one. No, I'm I didn't put paint in that one. I didn't. A little I high did, octane Sherwin Williams. <laughs> I did. I did blow that one up twice, though. I, one, like I learned very quickly that when the generator light comes on, that means there's no fan turning, and oh. the car's overheating. So I melted the oh. engine once, and the Ooh. second time was we took the distributor out. And I don't even know Ooh. why. But the distributor's got a tiny little screw in it. It's like this ridiculously tiny screw. That fell into where the distributor went. And I put the distributor back in, didn't lock up correctly, and I blew the motor that way. Oh, so I got no. really So we got we got Volkswagen bug engines. I got to about forty five minutes to pull one of those things out. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And you could That's do it by hand, right? You could just yeah. pick the thing up yourself and tote it out. That was the whole engine. Oh yeah. Nice. I love I love it. So, uh, leaping forward a little bit, uh, how did you come to work for Bruce Canapa, and what was it like working for him? I, believe it or not, I uh, I got that job on Craigslist. Um, <laughs> it was better I, than the other not? one next to it. <laughs> it's like one of, the most dance, premier, so. <laughs> one of the most premier auto facilities in the world, and I got, I'm like I was cruising Craigslist. Actually, my my wife found it. We had we had um, my son, and I decided to take a year off to kind of be at home dad. And finally, she's all like, "Well, you need a job. You need to get the hell out of here." <laughs> <laughs> crazy. So she saw the ad for a marketing director for uh, for a car company. Didn't even say Canapa. And uh, I sent my resume in, and 15 minutes later, Bruce calls. He's like, "This is Bruce Canapa." And I'm like, "What? Well, okay, sure." <laughs> and he's like. I want you to come down here and, and, uh, and tomorrow and uh, we're going to talk. I'm like, great. And he, I went down and believe it or not, I'd never been to the facility before. I, uh, he took me for a tour. We come back after about walking me around for about an hour because the place is like 70,000 square feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he came back. He's all like, Oh, I want you to start tomorrow. I'm like, what? Um, sure. No. Uh, Monday. Okay. Fine. And that was it. That was. I spent uh, a little over six years there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, uh, what was the most memorable experience working there? Oh man, there's so many. The cars that came in there were all tremendous, amazing. You know, mind blowing. Like one of those cars alone over those that time period would have been enough for most car guys. But every day walking in and seeing. You know, one time he had 12 959s under the roof. Um, he had three 917s. Uh, oh, wait, wait. Back up. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa, what? What? He had, he had a dozen 959s all in one place. 
yeah, so he he was the big 959 importer when they finally were allowed into the country in wow. 19, 1998. So of the 50 or 60 that are in the United States, the majority of them he brought in and worked on. So they come back to his shop from time to time to get work because nobody else knows how to work on the damn things. And at one point <laughs> it was just this, you know, perfect storm and there were 12 of them. <laughs> <laughs> you wow. know, a few of them for sale and a few customer cars, and now he's hot rodding them, and they have 800 horsepower. It's nuts. One fun part was that I, one little story I like to tell because it gives you a real idea what the one percent is. Because um, we would have, you know, these car tours come in from Monterey during Monterey Week uh, from the Quail and different places. Yeah. And this guy, this one tour came in, and the guy was driving a 58, I think, 58, 59 Ferrari Testarossa, the 250 TRs. Jeez. Race car on the road. He's got a license plate on it somehow because, you know, money. <laughs> and uh, it breaks down. He's like, he has no charge. So it breaks down in the parking lot. And the guy's like, uh, that's okay. I brought like three other cars. They're bringing one to me. Well, I'll just leave it here. And <laughs> the guy <laughs> forgot about it. Like he, for- <laughs> he forgot it was there. He's like, "Oh, somebody will call you." And like two weeks later, we're like, "You gonna where's the, what?" There's a there's a like fifteen million dollar car, and the guy just was like, "Oh yeah, I, f- I totally forgot." Yeah, wow. sure, I- I'll send somebody for that. No problem. In the meantime, wow. we're all sitting. It was like that blew my mind. Is is that, that's as an a, alternate reality? Surely you Ferris uh, Bueller'd that thing, took it out for a little <laughs> test <drive. laughs> <laughs> No, so tempting. Oh, believe me, there were so many cars there that were like at the end of the night. It was like you know, <laughs> nobody would really mind a little spin around the block. <laughs> Just put it in reverse and reverse the, the mileage, and you're good. Yeah, let's drive it backwards <laughs> over the creek. It'll be no problem. Like but it, it uh, that, that that was one of the greatest temptations because some of my childhood hero cars would come in and you're like just a little drive and I I did admittedly get to drive some of the cars because as the marketing director I would have to we'd have to go do photo shoots for the cars so oh, I got I'm, to I'm dying uh, one of them like he he uh, Bruce put a nine six two uh, Group C you know the IMSA. Uh, endurance car from the 80s. He had an extra engine laying around because you have those laying around. <laughs> Twin turbo 962 motor, and he stuffs it. He stuffs it into a 911 Speedster, <laughs> and it's the it's the craziest looking thing you've ever seen with 93 with 934 body kit on it, Speedster with these huge tires. And I had to go take it for a spin. He's all, watch out for the boost. I'm like, uh-huh. what? He's all, just don't go on the boost. So I'm driving it, not with the speedometer or the tack. I'm just watching the boost gauge because I don't want to hit the boost. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, it'll have like 800 horsepower. I'm like, oh, crap. And it weighs nothing. Oh, my God. I remember just driving that. And, of course, you, you're a car guy. So at some point, I'm driving down the road. You know, it's a nobody's around. And it's a straight line. Uh-huh. How bad could it be? Uh-huh. How bad could an 800 horsepower car with a totally short wheelbase B on that weighs what a frisbee weighs right and had, on 10 year old tires how bad did this be oh it was bad it was real bad. Um, that line wasn't so straight was it no well yeah i collected it i was like wow okay all right i figured it. the boost hit that thing took off like a rocket it had no traction whatsoever and i'm like all right i'm just gonna take my foot out and i'll be all right okay all right <laughs> 
after having done uh, all the research for all 72 cars uh, at the Porsche Historic Tent at Rentsport Reunion, uh, have you ever considered writing a book about Porsches? I, I have. Um, I, I actually did start a book on the 959 because I was privy to a lot of, you know, very unique information working around them so much with Bruce. Sure. Um, you know, there's so many books about Porsches and there's so many fantastic writers and historians out there. I, I've got a huge library of them already. It's, it's hard to find that one thing that I, I think that people actually want to know about. Um, mm-hmm. I think the 959 is very underwritten. So I've, I started working on that. It's just that I've got like four, three or four books that I'm working on simultaneously. And it's, you know, you only have so much time in your, and, and space sure. in your brain. But I'd love to have, finish that someday. Uh, but, you know, what hasn't been said about Porsche today that really, there's got to be, you got to find that one weird thing that nobody knows. And the sure. good thing is that the 959 has so many just fantastic, hidden stories behind it and it's import and the reason it wasn't bought in the u.s and who did get it in the u.s and that's the juicy stuff i'm, I'm collecting right now um what on god's green earth possessed you to start creative film cars <laughs> vengeance that's <laughs> All good things start with revenge. Um, this, I, so I I worked for this, I, who will go unnamed, but this this real jerkwad in New York who had a classic car place there, and he had a, a film little film car. He would sell, he would rent them out to films and things. And he was, and, and I'm like, this is easy because the way he did it, he just had his cars and he had a small, um, kind of uh, database of people who had cars. So he didn't have any overhead and he would just charge people to bring their cars to a photo shoot or a, a film shoot and he'd make money. And I'm like, this is easy enough and I hate you. So <laughs> I'm going to do this. So I left and I took one of his employees with me and uh, we started the company and it was like, it was, it's a, such a New York kind of way of doing things in LA. You got plenty of land and, there's lots of film car companies down there. In New York, there's nowhere to keep cars, so it's difficult. There aren't many big film car companies there. Uh, and so we, our first office, I swear to God, was in an abandoned theater on 42nd Street that we got. We, we took care of the abandoned theater. We got the free office that had, like, one heater in the corner, and it was snowing out, and the windows didn't close. And we started it, and within, like, three months, we were in the black, and it just took off because okay. we we uh, we developed a database. I think at its height before I left, we had five or six thousand cars that we could uh-huh. call private owners yeah. and say, like, you know, say you had a nice Corvette and this shoot needed a Corvette. We would call you up and say, hey, we're going to come pick up your Corvette. I'll give you five hundred bucks. We'll detail it. It'll be fully professionally detailed. And at the end of the day, we bring it back. There's five hundred bucks in your glove compartment. And most folks were like. Once they trusted us, we're like, absolutely. Yeah. And then we charged the client like $1,200 or 1500 bucks or whatever. And, and there was our margin for the day. So you got to do lots of cool stuff with that mm-hmm. company. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But one of the stories that I've, that I've heard about this is what's it like to ship a car cross country <laughs> overnight with UPS? 
<laughs> so, I didn't know UPS did that. I we didn't know UPS did it either. Um, <laughs> th- we 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 always got crazy phone calls, and that's one of the reasons I love the business. Was every single shoot was different. So it was impossible to get bored. Um, they wanted a car for this or a truck for that, or we had to blow up this, burn down that, or whatever. And we get the call. We're going to work on uh, the premiere of Mission Impossible uh, three. And uh, they're going to do this whole thing where Tom Cruise drives from premiere in one part of New York to another in rapid succession within one day. And they want a different vehicle to take him or him to show up on each premiere, one down in the battery and one up in Harlem and, you know, one on the East side and everywhere. So one of the cars he wanted to pull up in originally uh, they wanted a Bugatti and that had just come out and we had like, they're like, get one of those Bugattis, whatever those things are. And we're like, oh, sure, we'll get whatever one of those things are. And we found it. We had called Bugatti, and they had three in the U.S. at the time, and we were, we were about to get it. And three days before the event, they changed their minds. Um, and by they, I mean the Church of Scientology, who pretty much run everything. <laughs> and they're like, Tom doesn't want that. Tom wants a Celine uh, Mustang because he likes those guys, and he has one. So we call up Celine and uh, the president of the company is all like, use mine. I'm like, great. Where is it? He goes, LA. And we're in New York. Oh like, my God. So I need to get a car out to New York within two days at that point. So I told the production, I'm like, this is going to cost you some money. And they're like, we don't care. That's what Tom wants. I'm like, fine. <laughs> so we called, uh, we started calling around and we, you know, we called FedEx and we called, you know, like, because they have all those big uh, international shipping companies have these kind of uh, special divisions where they can do weird, strange requests. And we got a hold of UPS and UPS is like, oh, yeah, let me, uh, let me patch you through. And I'm thinking, sure, you're going to patch me through. It's going to be click. Thank you. And they patch me through. <laughs> and this, 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 this person answers and is like, the nicest person on the planet. He's like, what can I do for you? I'm like, I need to ship a car from LA to New York overnight. And like, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So we gave him the logistics, you know, it had the, the usual, you have to have like less than a half a tank of gas and the, unplug the battery, just simple things. We get it to the airport the night before and they, they get it to, they put it on this enormous pallet. And I mean, Car fits on a pallet, so it's on wheels. They wrap it in plastic. They wrap it in blankets. They wrap it in plastic again. And I'm up all night tracking this because it's the only part of the puzzle. I've got a fire engine. I've got a custom motorcycle. I've got a Maybach. I've got a boat. i got all this stuff lined up. Everything's done except for the stupid Mustang. And I'm up all night. And I watch it. It flies to St. Louis where it transfers planes at like 3 in the morning. They and swap planes? They swap planes. I know. <laughs> so they swap planes, and I'm making sure I'm calling them, and they're calling me, and it's 3 in the morning. They're like, it's on the plane. It's on the way. So I have to be in Jersey um, at Newark at like 6 a.m. to pick it up. So I get over there, and I'm waiting. And it was like – it was one of those really cool things where you think you're in the movie. The plane pulls up. like giant hatch opens, and – I don't think anybody got any mail that day from UPS because everybody, like, there were like a hundred people out there 
all going, Tom Cruise's car is here. It's Tom Cruise's car. And they're standing everywhere and they're taking pictures and they're picking pictures of me. I'm like, what are you doing? And out rolls this thing and they unwrap it and they get it off the pallet. And I fired up and it, like, it's applause. And uh, <laughs> I was like, it was the weirdest overnight shipping ever. And, and, and believe it or not, take a wild guess how much it costs to ship a car overnight. 700 oh, a ton. 800 Take a wild guess. Uh, north of 10 grand. Yeah, it's 13 grand. <laughs> 13 grand to ship wow. a car overnight. Wow. Wow. Well, now if I ever need to do that, I know. I wonder why they're so happy to say, yes, we can help you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my they God. Can, I mean, they literally could name any price and we would have paid it and we did. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well, for $13,000, you can have UPS kiss your ass and deliver a car across country. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I I have a real, real specific story in mind, but you're going to know which story it is when I ask the question. All right. Um, explain to us what it's like trying to make non-car people understand reality. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about that this can be read? I'm talking about this can be read. <laughs> So I did a Vinwicky video on this. This is another story from the film car era. Um, we dealt primarily, we did a lot of films, but most of the shoots in New York are editorial, where you bring one car to a studio and they shoot around it all day with a model and things like that. And um, But none of these people drive. And a lot of them never have licenses. And a lot of them have like, they don't even know how much a gallon of milk is. Like they, they just live in these weird <laughs> existences where they're carted from one place to another and everybody tells them they're great and they make a million dollars and everybody's happy. And we did a shoot where we had to bring uh, a 356 and uh, they went back and forth and back and forth and as usual. And we finally got them nailed down on a black one. And it was a beautiful original car. Um, and we bring, it, bring it in after all this hassle. And the studios in New York can be in weird places. This one was in a warehouse on like the third floor. So you had to take it up a, a elevator and then down a hallway and then into a studio. And we get it in there. And I think it was from Maybelline. Can I interrupt for just yeah. a second? Yeah. How the hell you get a, a Porsche 356 down a hallway? It was as wide as a car. Very careful. There's another story I tell because we did the same studio. We burned a uh, we burned to the ground a New York City taxi for a shoot for Vogue or something, and then we brought it into that same studio the next day, burnt. And we had to drag it through this hallway, on like you know, it was just and it smelled like hell. It, we we did some really crazy things. We bring motorcycles up to lofts in regular elevators, try to bring a full-size motorcycle standing on its rear tire in a regular elevator. And the, the, the tenants are looking at you like you're crazy. I mean, I'm talking like Triumph Rocket three-size things. Like <laughs> uh, okay. So we moved, Sorry, we moved weird things. Sorry That's okay. No, we did. So back to the portion. We bring it in, and the, the VP of whatever is like, Oh, hmm. Yeah. Well, hmm. Um, yeah. And she's looking at it and we're, and at most of the point I don't deal with the, the end clients. I deal with the producer, whoever put the shoot together. And she's, <laughs> she's like, um, this can be read. I'm like, okay. She's like, no, 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 this, this can be read. And I'm like, it's, 
black. This is a black car. And she's like, yes, mm -hmm. but this can be red. Like somehow by saying this, I, or I have a magic wand, or there's a switch in a dashboard that changes the color of the car or something. <laughs> like she had no connection about what the hell was going on. I'm like, she just kept saying it. She goes, this can be red. And I'm staring at her and she's like, mm-hmm. Like, no. And I'm about to kill her. And the producer steps in. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's translating for me from human being to, you know, corporate, <laughs> corporate, whatever person. And he's like, do you mean that you'd like a red car? And she's all, yes. And like, I've got a three, a red 356 downstairs. And she's like, mm -hmm. we need a, we need a red car right now. Wow, and I'm like, any any red car? No, this this car this car can be red. No, <laughs> I my brain nearly exploded. It was just one of those moments. You're like, I'm I oh well I I'm going to take this car out of here, and I'm never coming back. Uh, she, it, it's it's an it was an epic epic day. So the, yeah, that was the whole. This can be red. Um, it eventually be that story on VinWiki got so much traction that um, ed made up a t-shirt that actually says this can be read on it and it's a black i want that shirt poster. i want that shirt <laughs> all right we'll get, you, we'll get you that shirt but it was just that was that was my daily task a lot of time was translating car man talk to these people like how to translate what a car look like or does or what it represents or the emotion it creates to oh, wow. the end client yeah that that's incredible so for those who don't know, first, what is the 2904? Huh. Second, where did that idea come from? And third, what is the weirdest thing that happens when you race garage sale cars coast to coast? Oh, boy. <laughs> so the 2904 was a cannonball type event. Um, that I ran from 2007 to 2017. And what it was, was uh, Alex Roy ran his run in 2000, early in 2007, or I think it was. And I thought, what a douchebag. Like, <laughs> he's got this like M5 with like weapons grade you know, tracking devices. He's got planes flying over his head and, and he, he spent like a quarter million dollars on that run that he did. Oh and, my. And, uh, I thought like, and not that at that point in my life, I was a big cannonball advocate, but I just thought like that was, that was horrible. Like compared to what the, the original cannonball was. Cause I, at the same time I read the article about his run, I happened to be reading Brock Yates book cannonball cannonball. And I'm like, well, this doesn't add up. And at the same time I was reading those, I was also reading an article on the new 24 Hours of Lemons, <laughs> which had started that year. And I, it, my brain somehow, in some convoluted moment of bourbon or something, uh, <laughs> put together that, you know, what you should do is create a new cannonball to show that we could go faster or, or close to as fast as Alex Roy did except for no money whatsoever. So you don't have to be some, you know, uh, trust fund douchebag to blow across the country and have fun. So the 2904's conceit was this, is you drove 2,904 miles from New York to California 
but you could only spend $2,904 on the car, <laughs> the fuel, tolls, t- it's everything. And I threw the challenge out to a few friends and a few people responded and we did it in 2007. It was a lot of fun. I did it in a Subaru Loyal station wagon and it was oh, awful. Sexy. <laughs> and uh, it was it's like what? the car was literally floored. I, 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 when I use the word literally, I mean literally floored on the floor for three states. Because we, <laughs> in the high plains, it wouldn't go over like 67 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. Oh and the little bugger's just like, just dying. <laughs> Uh, so I thought it was done at that point. And then, um, top gear magazine contacted us and they wanted to do it in 2008. So we did it again and then it just kind of gained momentum of its own. Um, and we did it another eight times after that or so forth. I've, oh, I've wow. cannonballed. I've can I hold the record. I think somebody told me this, that I hold the record for the most competitive cannonball. So I've done 10 competitive cannonballs across the U S no kidding. Um, and all of them with some kind of strange theatrical misgivings. <laughs> uh, we did. Uh, I've driven. So I drove. So the, uh, we built a, a fake army staff car one year with no license plates, just a star on the plate. We dressed in military gear. Uh, one year we did it as the A team. I built an A team van for oh. two thousand bucks, and I lost the bet. And I was I was Mr. T. I was Honky T. And I shaved my hair, did the whole thing. Uh, we, we, I built a transcon medevac ambulance out of a, a Ford, a diesel ambulance. Uh, oh. we, I mean, Oh, uh, we had Jaguar XJS was the one that I had, I had sourced for top gear USA. Um, and we ran that one year cause, cause that was up until that point, the record was held from the original cannonball Baker was held by a Jaguar XJS. So we got one, of course it had a Chevy V8 in it. Um, and uh, I did it in a uh, a dustbuster van. We dressed up to look like a Star Trek shuttle while we were all in Star Trek outfits. I mean, it's just, I, it's always just been a lot of fun. Um, and it's like, and, the, and every year was a different wacky adventure, you know? Can you point to any single thing as being the weirdest thing that happened? Oh, a lot of weird things happened. Um, hmm. I mean, you, you I, I think quite it, a bit of, I think I think it was more it was more weird for the people encountering us rather than for us. <laughs> like when we when we did the A team van, um, we we like pulling into a gas station at two in the morning in Iowa in an A team van, and three guys dressed jump out dressed as the A team, including a white guy as Mister T, and we're we've got two fuel tanks in the back plus the main tanks. So we've got three fuel hoses running simultaneously into this thing while another guy's checking the torques on the wheels and cleaning the windshield. I, I, whatever that poor sack who was watching us just be like, you're not going to believe what I saw last night. But sure. I was like, so high. We actually, we did get pulled over in that, in the, in the 18 van. And this, like this, I think it was Nebraska. And we were, we had that car, that thing actually moved. We were moving out and, but you know, the A-team van has no windows. It's a black van with no windows on it. This guy pulls us over in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, 
which is exact. That should be the state motto for Nebraska, the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's like, there's not a city anywhere. So he pulls us over. He's got a flashlight in one hand. He's got his hand on his gun on the other. He sees these New York plates in the middle of Nebraska, the black man. He comes up next to us and he shines the light in the window. And here I am looking at him with the mohawk and the chains and all this stuff. And my friend is he's dressed as a Hannibal, so he's got the you know the khaki vest and the gloves on and the cigar in his mouth. And face man's asleep in the back. And he takes he looks at us and he's like he backs up a couple of feet, hits the side of the van with his flashlight, sees the stripe, and all he's like he like speechless takes. The the the, uh, the driver's license and the registration. He goes back to his truck, back to his car. Comes back like five minutes later. He's all like, "I can't give a ticket to the A team." <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and I'm like, "Thank you, sir." He's all next twenty eight miles. You just take it easy. I don't even want to know about it. And, and he just went. He just left. <laughs> yes, sir. I, like those, That's got to be another one of those. You won't believe what I you know, saw. Yeah, like yeah, I pulled over the A team last night. Like we had, we did, uh, we did one run in a um, uh, uh, the Buick Roadmaster station wagon in the '90s, which had the LT1 engine in it. Yeah. And it yeah. seemed like the, it's the perfect cannonball vehicle, as far as I was concerned. Like uh, the trailering package gave you all the 9C1 comp parts. Oh. The brakes, the transmission cooler, all yeah. that stuff. So a, a trailering special version of the Brick Roadmaster is a monster of a car. But we bought it like a few days before. And we, my friend Pierce, who drove with me many times, he's like, we should get it detailed. I'm like, detailed? Detailed? We're going to get it. It's going to be covered in bugs in a day. Well, we should have got it detailed because we are blowing across um, Illinois. It was Illinois. And we get pulled over and not by like we this something pulls up behind us, but it's not a cop car, but it's got all the lights in the windshield. Four guys get out all wearing like tactical gear with big guns. And we're like, oh, shit. Like now, now, now <laughs> we've really we've broken. We've broken whatever the unwritten code is. And they're sending like the they're sending the, like the SWAT team after us now. <laughs> and uh the guys come up on us and they, they like quite methodically get us all out of the car in different directions. They take us to different parts so we can't talk to each other. And uh, they call in a truck. The truck pulls in right behind and out comes a dog. Oh, my God. And the dog starts dog starts going through the car. And uh, they're like, so what are you guys doing? We're like, well, we're driving to California. So we've got <laughs> – so here's, here's, a, here's a car that we obviously just bought two days ago in Long Island with no license plates and a temporary movement tag, <laughs> two guys with New York driver's license, one guy with a California license and the dog smells drugs and starts <laughs> going nuts. And we're like, Oh Uh-oh. no. And what made it worse was we, our, our third driver, I always like to have three drivers dropped out right beforehand. So I got a friend of a friend <laughs> to come with us. And he's a pothead. And I'm like, you didn't bring any drugs with you, did you? You idiot. He's like, no. no, no. And uh, so the dog sniffing, the dog ate my freaking pretzels, which I will never forgive them for that whatsoever. <laughs> like, like these finally trained, this finally trained police dogs eating my damn pretzels. Sniffs out something. And the, 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 the officer's like, we know there's something in the car. We can't find it. But 
you got to tell us what's going on. And we've been, we're now, we're been outside the car for like 45 minutes. Oh, and oh we're, wow. And we're losing, you know, we're going to lose the run at that point. With that much time off. And they get us back into a group and they're like, come on, tell us what you're doing and we'll be cool. And I said, we're doing a cannonball. And the lead guy goes, I told you that's what they were doing. I told you. <laughs> and the rest of the guys start laughing and they're like, this is awesome. And they're like, if we just told them up front, it would have been no issue whatsoever. Oh. Right. We were trying to be all secretive. And they all thought like, they, they're like, tell us more about how you do this. I'm like, I can't cause we're losing right now. We got to get going. <laughs> and, but I promise I'll come back. But like, you know, they, and so it turns out what, who they were, they told us they were DA agents and that oh. They that run through Illinois, I guess, apparently is a big meth run. And I eighty, yeah, I eighty straight okay. through there. Yeah, yeah. So, so from here's what I hear, this, <laughs> here's this here's this lowered station wagon with black tinted windows at 110 miles an hour. Right? They're like they're like we're not traffic cops, but if you see a car like that going that fast, we have to pull you over. And I'm like, oh crap. So so they got to tell the story of the day they pulled over some cannonballers. They're like we. Every single that was one of the that's one of the fun parts about doing it is every single year, every single run had its own wacky adventure. Yeah. Will you ever do the twenty nine oh four again? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I had a ulcer at the end. I mean, running essentially, not that I ever did it. It never actually happened, but uh if one to ha- would have run uh, an illegal road race for ten years, uh you know, it was it got to be it was fun at the beginning and it was silly. But after you have a kid and a house and you have a lot to lose, yeah. And, and it, you know, it's not like I can have people sign a liability waiver because they're not doing anything. <laughs> um, so yeah, eventually it was just too much. And another a friend of mine, Ben Wilson, created a run called the C to C Express, yeah. and he ran that for a couple of years after uh, I shut down the twenty nine oh four, and he's done now too because it's just it's just it's just too much hassle. So we're we're expanding into other areas instead of cannonballing. I'm done with cannonballing. <laughs> and you've, you've taken up running on a, another crap ball race. Why race in lemons, <laughs> which is, which is arguably the world's most craptastic racing series. It is craptastic. Um, <laughs> so it, I, I raced SCCA and then I, and I raced a bunch of stuff and um, you know, when you race, it's all about how much money you spend, really. How much, how fast do you want to go? How oh. much money do you want to spend? So, yeah. and SDCA, you get three 20 minute races in a weekend. You know, if you do well and the car hangs together, it's like, and the amount of money you're putting out didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so, when this came along, I'm like, perfect. It, it kind of, it, it spoke to my theatrical side and my racing side at the same time because you have to do all kinds of weird stuff to the cars. Uh, so we built uh, a Supra, a Mark III Supra, and uh, started racing with a few buddies. And uh, the first year we did it, we were team don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> we made we made a stencil of a very stubby cock and balls, and we covered the entire car in the stencil so it looked like camouflage, but it was all cock, like cock camouflage over the whole car. So that was the first car. 
Um, did you know it was going to look like camouflage? Uh, oh yeah, that was the idea. Because <laughs> oh, okay, you, you, okay. you, you lay the stencil down, you do you do we do pink stencil, <laughs> and you lay you turn the angle, you do a purple, and we do it. And it was just like just the whole, but it, but most people walking up go, oh, that's a pretty cool camouflage car. They they they'd stare at it, they would stare at it, and they go, oh man, <laughs> the car is covered with cocks. <laughs> So, but <laughs> there were we, we 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 transformed that car a bunch of times. We we covered it in, in body parts and made it a zombie killer. Like we were driving through dead zombies. We we dressed it up a bunch of times. We never won. What happened was the engine blew up on that because those are those stock motors are dreadful. We put in a one JZ motor that we oh, got wow. for for a few hundred bucks, and then the the organization Lemons hated it because it was so fast. I mean, at Sonoma, I don't know, like Sonoma Raceway, uh, you know, race cars are turning, you know, 140s, you know, 130s, the real stuff. And uh, this, we could turn a sub two minute lap in this car Ooh. in traffic on street tires. Oh, and wow. they're like, this is too fast. You got to, we hate it. We hate it. We hate it. So they started giving us penalty laps. And one time they gave us the penalty laps and, uh, we still came in eighth place, even with, <laughs> with 12 penalty laps. I think we had, we came well, in eighth oh place. My God. Jeez. Yeah. They, and, uh, they, came, we went over and we're like, ha, we still came in eighth place out of 150 cars or whatever. And they looked at us and they said, your car will never win. We don't care if you come in first place, we'll never give you a, we hate your, go, go away, go away. So, this is the beauty part of it. It's like I, as a as a car historian, I love all the old racing car stories and all the cheaty stuff that like Penske did, and you know uh, all the great NASCAR teams, Holman Moody, and you know like so I, I was like I'm just going to build the cheatiest car I can possibly make using all the things because Lemons doesn't have anything really illegal about the old racing cheats. Like uh, if you want to put movable weight in the car so if the car turns one way you can have a jack system that sends weight, physical weight to the other side of the car not legal in regular racing but totally legal in lemons <laughs> like, so i went to them I'm like what do you get what do we have to do to get in your good graces and they said oh. all right you have two choices you can either put a straight six ford truck motor in your supra and race in class c which is the low the slowest class and no penalty laps or you can put your driveline, your cheaty driveline, in a pre-1975 Toyota. Oh. Because it, really, a pre-70, it's like, that's like putting, you know, 500 horsepower in a, a sardine can. It's like, it's impossible. <laughs> so uh, they didn't think we'd do it. And, of course, I'm like, I'm going to take that option. Done. So we, the, 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 uh, the head judge for Lemons is Judge <laughs> Phil, and he's an awesome guy. And... Uh, his first car he ever owned was a 1969 no, Toyota Corona. And so I found a $500 1970 Toyota Corona. Mm -hmm. And he, I didn't tell him about it. So we showed up at the next race, dead stock, one family owned on 13-inch wheels with the big 80 series tires, drum brakes, two-speed automatic transmission, geezer oh engine. Like, it was... The, we gutted it, we caged it, and I mean, literally, the spiders from the field were still inside of it, screaming. Like it was dead stock. And we put, we got the number one. We put the number one on the side, and on either side, we put, we put 
we need the number one say first, and we put Phil's first car down the side of it. <laughs> and we show up, we show up the judging, and he doesn't know, like it's still got hubcaps on it. We show the judging, and Phil is like, like he's never lost for words. He's never one to be like super emotional, and he lost it. Like he oh. absolutely lost it. So we that was our Mia culpa race, and we drove it dead stock. Like we're <laughs> we're turning like <laughs> instead of two minute laps, we're turning like three minute twenty laps. And this, <laughs> This crappy little car, like we had the expectation, oh, we're just going to go around and blow it up. It would not die. <laughs> and wow. we did two eight-hour days floored for two eight-hour days just going around the racetrack. <laughs> and oh, my God. As they like to say, like, in, like this, the guys like to say, it's like, we beat Corvettes and we beat BMWs and we beat, like, we came in like 58th place. Just because it just didn't stop. And we ended up winning the IOE, which is the index of effluency, which is the top prize for lemons, which is doing the most with the worst car. Yes. And so now we're like, I think, you know, we're in the clear. We've got it in writing from them that we can do whatever we want to the car and we can never get a penalty lap again. So I set to work with my buddies and we tore it apart again. And we took subframes, the front and rear subframes out of the Supra, built all new underpinnings under the car. Uh-huh. Both the, the Mark III subframes, front and rear. I got the, 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 uh, the 1JZ in it. I actually moved it four inches farther back. We put the radiator in the back seat. I got the, I got the exhaust coming out the back door like an Audi Trans Am car <laughs> from the 80s. Um, and like... It's 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 turning like it's the craziest looking thing you've ever seen. Yeah, but you you skipped over the really really important part. You made the world's most wonderful fender flares out of what? <laughs> out of what? So so, so we out of, out of what? I will say. Let me couch this real quick. So <laughs> they. We, we were building this car, and we're tr- we were trying to get it to its first race just to shake it down. We knew your first race is always a, sh- a crap show. So we, got, we boxed out the front, fl- the front flares by just cutting off the front fenders and adding some steel and pushing them out six inches either side. So the back tires are sitting out like six inches on either side because the Supra is so much wider. And we get to the race, and we still hadn't figured out how to cover the rear wheels. And I had brought a box of license plates from my film car days so we made rear fender arches over the rear wheels completely out of license plates oh and license plates God. and in a world like lemons that passes tech <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah. probably the best looking fender flares i've ever seen thank you thank you absolutely <laughs> Awesome. So we're, uh, right now we're we're converting it to ethanol right now, and it'll run its next race as soon as the COVID thing's over. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, where do you think you're going to be? Do you know uh, where the first le- race will land? Well, it looks like uh, we were hoping to get to Thunder Hill in May. That's probably that's not going to happen. Um, so more than likely, we'll be at Sonoma, back at our home track uh, in December for Arse Frieza Palooza. <laughs> so that'll be the plan and by that uh, time we'll have added the, 
I've got I've got a giant wing we're putting on the roof. So that's the next thing is this <laughs> massive wing on the roof. Oh god. And it's gonna be active. I, the wing's gonna be active. What? So when we hit the brakes, the wing's gonna go up and act as an air brake. So it's gonna be hinged. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our, oh. if people if people want to check it out, it's we are we have a Facebook page and we're the Sopranos, but that's Supra. The Sopranos. Oh my god. A. Yeah. I'll be sure to link to it when we do the show post. All right. Tell us about Fakara Classics. So after I left Bruce, I was like, I'm just going to continue. I mean, I, I loved what I did for Bruce, uh, and I wanted to continue doing that kind of stuff. So I uh, started Fakara Classics, and what I do is I research and market cars for private individuals, uh, you know, road cars, race cars, and things like that. And we put together full histories for the vehicle. Um, I do a lot of intricate research on them. And then we do like a professional photography session. And they can either sell the car with that. We'll put together a marketing plan. Or for a lot of collectors, they just keep these portfolios. I'll go and do like four or five cars. We'll put a portfolio together for each. And I'll verify the story, um, which can go either way. Uh, sometimes I run into these cars, especially ones that were sold at auction, um, that the stories are absolute bullshit. Uh, like these guys will have dropped a significant amount of money and I'll be like, you know, half the story is not true. Uh, so the, because the auctions are under no responsibility to tell no. the truth. They, they say no. that in their catalog. None of this has to be true. I'm an auction analyst for sports car market, American okay. car collector. Yep. So yeah, I know. <laughs> That's so, so bad. So, uh, so, so now I also provide the service where before the car, they purchased the car. I'll go investigate it ahead of time to make sure it is the car or the story behind the car is correct um, before they, they invest that kind of money. Yeah. And it's, it's been a blast. Tell us about drive a go, go drive a go, go. So we were Ben who ran the C to C express and myself and Ed Boley. And we were all talking about like what the next thing is. And I, I, you know, we all love to do these crazy drives, but obviously the, the, the cannonballs played out as far as I, as far as my, my experience and uh, we wanted to continue doing car adventures. So what we're putting together are kind of cannonball meets top gear challenge kind of adventures. So one we put together, which unfortunately since the Canadian borders closed is old until we can get away with it. But uh, we'll, the next one is we'll have drive a go, go Alaska. And then we'll have Drive-A-Go-Go Detroit and Drive-A-Go-Go Deep South and Drive-A-Go-Go. Each one will have a different theme. And there'll be like five-day driving adventures where uh, you drive a really crap car. And, for instance, Drive-A-Go-Go Alaska was supposed to start in Reno on June 27th. And we'll drive to uh, Glacier View, Alaska. So 3,000 oh. miles away. And up the Alcan Highway. And every night we would have a challenge of some sort where you win or lose. Like if you lose the challenge, you have to drive the next day with no doors in your car or, <laughs> you know, oh, or already you have consequences on these challenges. Oh, total challenges. Or if you, oh. if you, or if you win, you know, you, we'll, we're going to bring a mechanic with us. The mechanic will actually fix something on your car or we'll put shag carpeting in it or something like that. We've got all kinds of prizes and, uh, and things we're going to do to people if they lose. So every it, that'll be the day-to-day challenges. We'll have like a rally stage. We'll have a drag race stage. And when we get to Alaska, it'll be the, it'll be right before the Fourth of July. 
and there's a dirt track up there. We'll dirt track the cars. And at, when they're all done, they'll all be completely destroyed by that point. Uh, for, for the 4th of July, we are going to jump the cars off a cliff. Yes. In Glacier View, Alaska. And, and the whole town shows up. And we're just going to launch the cars off a cliff for the 4th of July and fly home. America. That sounds awesome. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> so that sounds beautiful. incredible. So that's the you know it's a, if we you know the if that works out, which we're hoping it does, uh, we'll expand to different areas of the U.S. and perhaps even you know go international with it. Um, you know, like Detroit, we would drive the cars through some abandoned factories and then shoot them until they explode. Or like the deep <laughs> south, we'll do like the roads from the Dukes of Hazard and then blow it up with dynamite at the end. But the cars have to be destroyed at the end. Like they they have to meet to some horrible doom at the end. <laughs> but maybe if you win, you get to keep your car or something like that. We'll figure that part out. Yeah. Um, so that's dress drive a go go. And then uh, the other extension of the cannonball that I'm working on. Um, is the 24900, which not many people know about, so I'll, I'll tell you guys about it. Um, the the, the 24900 is, is based on the circumference of the Earth. It's 24,900 miles. And I want a cannonball around the planet. <laughs> so in 1908, there was the original Great Race, which hasn't happened since where they drove from New York city to Paris, France. Sure. And it took, took months. Uh, so my proposition is that we know, but you can't spend more than $24,900 on the vehicle. And we're going to race from New York to Paris, France going West. Oh, wow. And we're going to do it in teams and it's going to be a flat out race. Like how fast can you get around the planet in a, you know, kind of substandard car. <laughs> <or truck. laughs> uh, uh, you had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a 24,900. We've already started working on that. Uh, obviously the COVID crisis um, has put a little bit of a wrench in it. We were going to kind of, I was sure. shooting for next year, but it'd probably be 2022 yeah. that we do it. Cause I think we can do it in three. I think we can, we can do it in less than three weeks. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Uh, what is in your collection right now? What do you have at home? <laughs> oh, God. Um, what do I have? Uh, I've got two GMC motorhomes, you know, the six-wheel ones from uh, the Stripes. Yeah. I love those things. Uh, <laughs> I've was got one of a, them the one that was stranded in Tulsa? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's Orange Julius. So Julius <laughs> caught on fire in <laughs> I, I swear to God, Oklahoma is cursed. I mean, you might have some fans in Oklahoma who are listening, but man, as far as driving through that state, I have nothing but problems. I think there's a witch who's just like, <laughs> I, I, I cross, I cross over the border into Texas. Everything starts working. Like all the lights turn off. Everything starts working. But Oklahoma. Oh yeah. So Julius was, was stranded in, in, uh, was a cannonball participant and got stranded in Oklahoma, but I, I got him out. He's, he's here now. Okay. Um, I've also got a 73 Volkswagen thing with a punched out 2.1 liter fuel injected motor in the back. That's a Uh, lot more than that car needs. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's pretty terrifying. Um, got a six, 1969 Porsche 911 S. Uh, I've got a 73 Citroen SM, uh, the Maserati engine car. I've got uh, cool. what else is outside? Um, 
I always, oh, I've got my, my uh, 1971 GMC ambulance that uh, was, the, <laughs> was the last vehicle I cannonballed, which we did in the C2C uh, last year. And uh, that's the 71 got, GMC ambulance. Is that based off of Suburban? Yeah, it's based off the Suburban. Okay. And, and we, we, I bought a 05 Cadillac Escalade with, with 89,000 miles on it. We tore the driveline out of it uh, one oh. month before the run. So we had 30 days to build it, and we, we put the engine, transmission, radiator into the 71 ambulance, and that thing is awesome now. That might actually move. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, for a 50-year-old truck filled with five guys and a ton of BO, we got across the, <laughs> we got across the country pretty quick, like 37 hours or so. Um, do, you, do you still have the uh, 308 GT4? I don't. I sold that uh, a couple years ago before we moved up here to Grass Valley. Um, I love that car. That was a great car. I, I, you, you have to give these guys the thumbnail version of how you know God loves Ferraris. Oh God! All right. Um, <laughs> so, so I bought this car uh, at auction, and uh, <laughs> they thought I was working for Canopus, and nobody bid against me, and I won this car. I got it for sixteen grand without any counter bids. And I brought it home. I started working on it. And I had a little three-car garage. And uh, we were out one night working on we – were, we were work, actually, we had torn the front end off of the Corona. We were beginning the transformation into the Suprona. <laughs> and uh, it was January of 2017. And that's when a huge storm system was coming through California. There was a lot of mudslides. It was absolutely apocalyptic. apocalyptic. And um, – that morning, I go out with my friend, and he's having some tea, and my wife's like, oh, man, it's, it's horrible out there. And I, and I, I said something to the effect of, um, this storm doesn't impress me, Oh, which, which I might as well just thumb my nose at God, right? So <laughs> really? I, we, go out to work, we go out to work on the car, and um, at some point, the top 35 feet of this hundred and something foot redwood tree snaps off and comes straight through the garage. Oh, and we were leaning over the front of the car and we turned 10 seconds later, the tree came right down the center line of the garage. So the, the tree just ran right across the front of all the cars and crushes the front of the Corona, um, which was, was half cut off. Anyway, in the middle of the garage was the Ferrari up on, on Jack stands. And everything goes black. Like it was just boom, like an explosion, black. And I kind of had, at that point, knew that was the only thing that could have happened. And uh, I called my friend and he's like, I'm okay. He got thrown under the Corona. The roll cage of the Corona had caught a bunch of the roof. Wow. So he was saved by the roll cage of the Corona. And I was saved by the workbench behind me. Because uh, all the stuff from the attic of the of the garage came down on top of this too, so it was like this wow. weird scene of like destruction and broken Christmas ornaments everywhere. Like it was just <laughs> bizarre, like you know this broken Santa Claus winking at you through a rain and then tree pieces. Like just so uh, we start cleaning up and um, we're, we're getting the tree out. And we're getting all the junk out. And we're cleaning it out, and I'm thinking, oh my god, the Ferrari's destroyed. Um, and it was under a cover, so it was hard to see what had happened. And it was just, and it was just a mess in there. 
and we get stuff, we start clearing away, and I'm looking at the Ferrari, and the tree is under the front of the Ferrari. And the visual is as if it had passed right through the front of the car without touching it. Like, <laughs> it was under the front of the Ferrari. And this tree is like, I don't know, it's a foot and a half across at that point, the top part of the tree. And I'm like, how did, what? How the hell did that happen? And... <laughs> It, it, like one side of the garage is destroyed. The Corona is all covered. The other side of the garage, well, my wife's Chevy Volt was over there. That's covered in debris and stuff like this. The Ferrari has one little tiny piece of broken drywall on it. Like nothing even fell on it. Like it was just like this, this, this aura had protected it. And uh, I'm looking at it and we uncovered it and there's not a scratch or a dent on the car. The tree is under the front <laughs> of the car. And I'm like, God must be Italian. <laughs> it's like, that was, that was, it. I was like, wow. And what we had figured out later was the engine had been hang, was hanging on an engine uh, hoist and the tree we think hit the engine because you know, it was on the chain because it swang glanced off the engine and bounced around the front of the Ferrari and then landed underneath it. That's amazing. Good Lord. Like, yeah. So yeah, God's Italian. Of course, so you'll never that, say right? any crap about a storm again. Huh? Yeah. Never again. Oh, yeah. I was like, <laughs> Mother Nature's all right. got all my respect. All right, John. Last question. Also, my favorite question we have for any of our guests, because you always get the best stories out of this. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? <laughs> uh, you, you know, you sent me this question, and, and I. I've done so many dumb things in cars. It's hard to even narrow, to narrow it, down. it down because well, here's the, here's the real problem is that most of it, I don't think was dumb, but I tell <laughs> any other person and they're like, that was stupid. Or my wife's like, you're an idiot. And, I'm like, and in retrospect, I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess that was pretty dumb. Uh, okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if, if you count, if you count blasting across the country, in thousand dollar cars that you don't know work, you know, that's pretty dumb. Um, all the stunt driving I've done is pretty dumb. <laughs> um, like, I, you know, I, I've, I've always been a stickler as much as I can for safety, but <laughs> there's been some cars that have been negligible uh, as far as their, their uh, construction. I mean, yeah. I, that's like that asking me that question is like asking somebody their favorite car. It's like, it's a real hard <laughs> thing to narrow down. And it's like, I've done so many wonderfully stupid things uh, of which I've already told a few of those stories, wow. but it's, it's uh, you know, I, I pulled, I've pulled cars off of cliffs with, with, you know, that, that should have dragged my truck off of a cliff. I've done that before. Um, I've, you know, I've, I pulled cars from underwater. I've crashed cars into the water. I've, uh, yeah, I, I done, I guess, I guess really I should think about that and, and, uh, just write a book about all my stupid things. I've done <laughs> cars. You seem to have figured out how to do it and keep walking away a whole. Yes. <laughs> I, I've been lucky on, on, on many, on many counts for that. I, I actually, uh, knock on wood, have never really been horribly injured. Like that, that crazy Ferrari tree incident. I walked away with a bruised toenail. That was wow. it. it. Without wow. that jack being there, I would have lost the bottom of my leg. 
Dang. Wow. Like that, that was, so I, somebody's looking after me, thankfully. <laughs> Born under a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been speaking to John Vaccaro, owner of Vaccaro Classics and Drive a Go-Go. You can find all of John's social media links as well as those for Vaccaro Classics and Drive a Go-Go on readthedriven.com. John, thank you so much for being with us. I know we didn't get to everything we wanted to get to. We really look forward to having you back if you would be willing. I'd be glad to come back. You guys are awesome. I had a great time. Thank you so very much. And thank you for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our audience. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show and everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I'm Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt and Catfish Groves. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio.